Well, greetings to everyone in Jesus' name. It's good to be in the house of God and to hear the Word of God preached. I was uh, very blessed in the opening message just to uh, be reminded to put our trust in the Lord. That's good for all of us. Well, I would like to welcome the visitors this morning and, and trust you can find a blessing here as we consider the scriptures together. <clears throat> well, that song we sang about give me an understanding heart is maybe particularly pertinent to the subject this morning. Um, As at least a few of you know, I would like to speak this morning on the subject of speaking in tongues. And the uh, subtitle is a question, what do the scriptures teach? Now this is a somewhat controversial subject, maybe partly because it's not well understood, and I must admit that For some years I have been somewhat lacking in understanding, although certain certain parts of it were clear in my mind. But uh, just to give you a little background of our where we're at in uh, 25 years of church life here at Zion, we have from the beginning. In our statement of faith, we confess that we believe that the gifts of the Spirit as listed in the New Testament are still active in our church age, if you will, or in our day, which includes speaking in tongues. But on the other hand, we also have great reservations about the speaking in tongues that is commonly practiced in our Um, in our land and various uh, churches that we may know about. And I suppose many of us come from different backgrounds and different experience. Uh, Perhaps you practiced it at one time or for a period of time and there may be some here this morning who are varying opinions about it and varying understandings. Uh, So I would just like this morning to be able to look at the scriptures because that is our only sure guide. Not the opinions of men, not even my opinion, but what do the scriptures say? Um, Because of our position, we've been, I've been challenged already to defend our statement of faith in that we believe in the speaking in tongues because In one particular case, the man was convinced that it was evidence of our apostasy or error, that we would would defend speaking in tongues. But on the other hand, our reluctance to take up what is commonly practiced as speaking in tongues has also been a point of accusation that we're forbidding to speak in tongues if we don't, you know, allow, allow it to be practiced. And I think many times in the uncertainty we, we may discuss various things about speaking in tongues and then uh, lest we be too certain about it, we fall back on the scripture that says forbid not to speak in tongues. And then we kind of just let it there because we don't want to come across too strongly. Well... I'm going to suggest this for our consideration in that um, particular passage, that the scripture also talks about prophecy and prophesying. And speaking about prophecy is sometimes foretelling of future events. Sometimes it's simply an exposition on the, on the uh, teachings of God. Well, The scripture says, despise not prophesying. 
And I've had, I've been accused already of pointing out error in prophecy and pointing out false teachers. And this verse is, I'm, I'm reminded by the person who would contend with me that the scripture says, despise not prophesying. But we also know the scripture clearly says that there are false prophets that also arise from among the people and bring in damnable heresies. Well, those we should not accept in any case. Um, we do well to pay no heed to those or to point them out and, and reject their error. Well, I would suggest that this speaking in tongues is somewhat similar in that we don't want to forbid speaking in tongues, but we want to be certain that it's biblical tongues, not something that's outside of Scripture, because what is outside of Scripture we should not accept. So that would suggest that we need to be diligent students of what does the Word of God say. And I probably won't be able to answer every question, but I think we'll lay some foundation and some basic principles on this topic of speaking in tongues. It has surfaced a few different times in our church history, and again, very recently within the last year. There have issues come up in uh, affiliated churches and so on. And I've been in conversation with some of the elders in other churches, and we've had lengthy discussions on this topic. And I think I have come to some understandings that I didn't have prior to this. As I've spent some time in the last half year, especially just reading the passages and seeking to understand. So I'd like to share with you this morning some of my understanding of what the scriptures teach about speaking in tongues. Well, let's begin with the first example of it there in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Acts chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 1 through 13. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. I'll stop reading there. 
And here we have the introduction of when tongues was first practiced in the New Testament age. This was one of the evidences of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And it tells us that they, verse two, uh, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. And I understand they to be both the apostles and I believe it was the 120 it speaks of as having been in the upper room. And I would believe that all of them were speaking in tongues. Certainly all of the apostles were, but I believe it was probably beyond just the apostles. They all spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I'll just note some of the prominent things here. One is that in this case, at the first uh, occurrence here, it is quite clear that when it's speaking about tongues, it's referring to languages, languages that were known and understood by the various people from various regions. It says, Every man heard them speak in his own language, and they Verse 8, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. The language that they were first acquainted with. We use the term the mother tongue, the one that's first learned. That was the idea here. They heard these believers speaking in a language they could understand. But they were amazed because these were Galileans who would not ordinarily have spoken these languages, but they were here speaking them. And then it lists quite a few different uh, regions and uh, presumably different tongues, different languages. So as we go through this study, the term tongues simply refers to languages, or sometimes it's tongue, singular, referring to a specific language, and sometimes in the plural just languages in general. Now there are two other places in the, new, in the book of Acts where it talks about speaking in tongues, and we're going to look at those just uh, briefly here. Next one is Acts chapter 10 which is the account of Cornelius and when Peter went to his house. And in verse 44, we have a bit of the description and conclusion as these men had gathered at Cornelius' house and it says that... Um, Cornelius, verse 24, chapter 10, verse 24, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And of course, there's Peter and the men that went with him. So there's a, a small assembly of people here in Cornelius' house. Verse 44, after the preaching, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that they should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Well, in the next chapter, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and gives a report of what happened. So over in verse 15, he's recounting this event and he's telling the believers at Jerusalem, 
And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Forasmuch then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And then the third occurrence is in chapter 19 of Acts. And here we have Paul preaching at Ephesus. Where he found some disciples of John and he asked if they had received the Holy Ghost and they said we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. So Paul expounded this to them in verse 5. When they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So here's where tongues was used in the early church there. First, the day of Pentecost. And then we have the account there at the house of Cornelius. And then sometime later here in Ephesus. All of them were occasions when the Holy Ghost came upon these people and they spake with tongues. And it's quite clear from the first account that what he's referring to is simply a known language somewhere that somebody knows. It's a language spoken among men somewhere and as it says there in chapter 2 it lists quite a few regions. And there's really no reason to think that it was anything different here in Acts chapter 10 or in Acts chapter 19. There's no, uh, nothing that would lead us to believe that this was anything other than simply speaking in another language. In the case of uh, Cornelius there, it's very possible that among his kin and household there were some variations of language, particularly since Peter and the men that went with him, at least some of them were Galileans, and very possibly there were multiple languages represented at that gathering. In Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, likewise, there was very possibly variations of languages represented, although it's not really explicit on that point, but there is no real reason to think that it was anything other than just another language. I'd also like to note in these three examples, and we may repeat this some, but in every case what was spoken was understood by somebody. In Acts chapter 2 it tells us, or the people testified, it says, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. In Acts chapter 10, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That was what was occurring. And we also note that when Peter recounted this, he said that the Holy Spirit fell on them as it did on us at the beginning, making a very clear connection that it was the same experience. Acts 19, they spake with tongues and prophesied. So again, there is something very specifically happening here and they understood what was said. Wonderful works of God, magnifying God, prophesying. Now I'm trying to cover all of the passages that speak about tongues in the New Testament. There are a number of times when the word tongue is used simply speaking about speech or 
Um, for example, Paul spoke in the Hebrew tongue, simply meaning that was the language he was using, was Hebrew. Um, James speaks about controlling the tongue. That's that little member in our mouth, and that's very literal, about our own speech, and so on. So there are a number of those cases, but the topic this morning about speaking in tongues, often it's used, as we will find here when we turn to 1 Corinthians 14, it refers to an unknown tongue, and so there are times when the use of the word tongue is referring to something not normally known or something different than, say, your mother tongue. I'll mention Mark chapter 16, verse 17, which were the words of Jesus, speaking about his followers, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And that would seem to be perhaps new languages. Um, I don't think we have evidence of that miracle happening during the days of Jesus. But certainly in the early church it did. Also there's a reference in some of the preaching of either Peter or Paul, maybe both, where he references the Old Testament prophecy that with men of other tongues will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear. So God used men of other languages to speak to the people. But the primary passage that gives us instruction is 1 Corinthians 14, and I'd like for you to just turn there. We're going to be reading a good bit of that portion. Before we get into that, let me also refer to chapters 12 and 13. In chapter 12, it does mention tongues as being a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it uh, tells us that not everyone has that gift. It's given to some, but not to all. Um, but it's done for the profit and edification of the body. Then in chapter 13, it uses the term the tongue of men or of angels. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men or of angels. And then again in verse um, 8, it talks about tongues, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. We may refer a bit to that later, but going on then to chapter 14, Paul deals extensively with this matter of tongues. And it is in this passage that many have based their doctrine or understanding of tongues. And so the question that would come in what we want to consider is in 1 Corinthians 14 is the tongues that is spoken of here different in any way than what occurred in Acts chapter 2. And this is where there's been a great divide among those in various persuasions about this matter of tongues because many have believed that it is speaking of a different kind of tongues. My conclusion, and I'll just give this before we even get into this, is that it is not speaking of a different kind of tongues. It's still referring to the same basic principle that 
tongues is referring to another language that is spoken somewhere in the world. Now there are some several verses in here that are a bit difficult to understand and there are many who have taken these verses and have practiced what I will call babbling. And I'm not using that in a derogatory sense or a demeaning sense at all, but I'm not sure what other term to use when I speak about men who are making sounds, if you will, they are, they are speaking or making noise with their mouth as those speaking, but do not understand what they are saying. And, and this is key. They themselves do not understand what they are saying and will admit to that. Now let's just consider, does the scripture actually support that concept that a man would babble, I'll use that term, meaning he does not even understand what he is saying. We're going to look at the scriptures here, but the question may come to us, did the believers in Acts chapter 2 understand what they were saying? I would believe that they did. And the reasons, maybe I'll just wait a bit to um, give you some of the reasons for that. It may become a little clearer here in 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm just going to read um, a portion here. Maybe I'll read down to verse 25 for now. Um, and then we'll go back through the passage looking at various portions of it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air." There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church." Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks? 
seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now we'll stop uh, reading there. There's a bit more to be said later in the chapter. But now we'll go back over some of this. Now, one of the primary focuses that Paul has in this portion is to emphasize the importance of edification in the church. That is a major point that he's making. And most of it here is an explanation of what that means and what it doesn't mean. The most stark contrast he draws there in verse 19, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Well, if I had gotten up this morning during my allotted time, spoken five words, and then sat down again, you would feel like you hadn't gotten much. But if I stood up and spoke 10,000 words, which would take quite a space of time, I'm not sure how long, in a language you did not understand, you would have received zero. Now, I might have acted enthused. You might have perceived that I'm very convinced of my message, but your um, benefit, your um, edification would have been zero. Quite a contrast, really. But Paul says he would rather speak five words that were understood than 10,000 that weren't. He also um, uses expressions like in verse 9, Except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Almost as though tongues were useless. In the context of the church here, and again, the whole point is the matter of edification. Something that actually people can get a hold of and understand. He talks about the one who prophesies being greater than one who speaks in tongues. Why? Because the church receives edifying. And then he adds this qualifier except he interpret the one who speaks in tongues. If he interprets, then there's edification. No interpretation, no edification. 
because the people don't understand what's being said. So he's clearly wanting to lift up the concept that in the church, in the assembly, you need to understand what is being said in order for you to benefit and profit. Verse 23, if the unbeliever comes in and hears everybody speaking in tongues, various languages, won't he say that you are mad? Why would he say that? It's because he does not understand anything that's being said. But if all prophesy, that means giving him something that he can understand and it says then that the secrets of his heart are made manifest. He's able to see himself through the word of God and he begins to understand. So if that's the central thought of what Paul is, is uh, using here when he when he talks about um, speaking in tongues, that helps us to begin to understand again that tongues should be a language that somebody can understand. And if they don't understand it, there should be an interpretation so that they might profit from it. And if there is no interpretation, then it shouldn't be used because it is of no profit. And it's not necessarily, uh, Paul isn't trying to prove that there is no profit in speaking in tongues. But he's pointing out that in the church there is no, no reason to speak in tongues unless it can be interpreted and unless it can be understood. Now, let's look at a few of the what we might call the problem verses, or the ones that are not so clear, what might they mean? Verse 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, question. When it says, No man understandeth him, Does that include the speaker himself? I don't think it does. I see no reason why we should conclude that the speaker himself does not understand what he says. However, I know that many have used this very phrase in this very verse to give the concept that a man who babbles that's fine, he doesn't understand it. There's no, he's still edified even if he doesn't understand it. Well, I don't think that's what he's saying here. It says, he speaketh not unto men, but unto God. The men don't understand what he's saying, so it's of no profit to them. But he may be speaking unto God, in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now let me explain that word mysteries. Mysteries does mean secret knowledge or hidden things, but in the New Testament it generally has the idea of something either not understood or previously hidden now being manifest or explained. And if you study that word, mysteries, and look up all its occurrences in the New Testament, almost, I think maybe with about one exception, there is connected with it a revelation or an exposure. And now, what was hidden is now made manifest. We often think of mysteries in our common usage as something that cannot be explained. We have no understanding or no explanation of why this occurred the way it did. 
We see something. We don't know who did it. We can't explain why it was done. It's a mystery, we say. It's just a mystery because we can't, no comprehension. Well, there is a sense in that mysteries are things hidden but now explained. So, in this passage, this man speaking in the Spirit may be expounding on the hidden things of God that he is able to now make known. And I would parallel it with what it says there about the unlearned who come in Hearing people speak in tongues, he doesn't understand, he says they're all mad. But if one prophesy, then are the secrets of his heart made manifest. Mysteries is often referred to as the things that are hidden from the eyes of the unbeliever, but are now known by the people of God and by the church of God because they are explained. The hidden things are made manifest. So this man whom no one understands, verse 2, he's speaking unto God and he may be speaking even mysteries, but to what profit if people cannot understand? Verse 3, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men unto edification and exhortation and comfort. All of those things can occur when the people understand. Verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. How is he edified himself? It's because he understands what he's saying. But the others don't. He that prophesieth edifieth the church. 5, I would ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. In other words, he's not saying that tongues don't have a place or shouldn't be used, but it would be preferred to prophesy so that all can understand. Verse 6, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, or various languages, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? And then he uses the example of things without life, like a pipe and a harp. They need to give a distinction of sounds, if you're to understand um, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? It needs to have a clear signal, a clearly understood call, or it's rather useless. So likewise ye, verse 9, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Now, those who practice babbling would not be generally very um, appreciative of being accused of just speaking into the air. But that is what Paul says here. You speak into the air, if, if it's not understood, what profit is there? And I might pause here to ask this, this question. Can God understand Men in any language? And I think we very quickly say, well, of course. Every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. Language is no problem with God. You, you can pray in any language you know, and God will hear. And so there's no edification or, or anything particularly impressive to God to speak with him in some other language than what you're familiar with, because he, he knows them all. And how are you edified? If you babble, 
and know not the meaning of the sounds and words that you are that are coming out of your mouth, how are you edified? Now, I will acknowledge that most who would profess to be edified by that babbling would believe that, well, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And therefore, I'm edified because I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not sure that the Scripture really supports that concept and comes back to the question, is the speaking in tongues ever used where the speaker himself does not understand what he is saying? And I'm suggesting that the scripture does not support that concept. Now, the next portion here, verse 11, no, verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Now we use the term barbarian in somewhat of a derogatory sense, but it did not have that sense in the New Testament. Let me give you the definition of barbarian and the origin of the word. It simply means one who speaks a foreign or strange language which is not understood by another. It's the first definition. Second definition, it was used by the Greeks of any foreigner ignorant of the Greek language, whether mental or moral, with the added notion after the Persian War of rudeness and brutality. The word is used in the New Testament without the idea of reproachfulness. So when he uses the term barbarian here, it's not a bad word. In fact, just as a side note, it seems to me that if we can trace my own heritage and, and uh, ethnic background, it would be true for many of us, it would go back to a portion of Europe where some a millennium before, or in the days of the New Testament at least, the people in that region would have been known as the barbarians. Now it could have been true for various people groups, but the more civilized world was overrun at some point by the barbarians. They were the people who lived beyond and spoke a strange tongue. And the Greeks, as this definition showed, they used it for various people groups, anybody who didn't understand their language was a barbarian. So, Paul says, If I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. I'm of a different language. I have no idea what you're saying. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. If you're speaking a language I cannot understand, then you're a barbarian. And again, it's not a derogatory term as it's used here. It simply means someone of a different language I don't understand. So, I use the term babble in a similar sense, not derogatorily, but just speaking of someone who is... Um, making his mouth go, he's speaking words, but as far as I'm concerned, if I don't understand them, he may as well be speaking into the air, because I, I can't understand anything. So very clearly, Paul is here talking about known languages. When he uses the very term barbarian, that's what that term meant. It was meant a different language. So, Back in verse 10, there, may be a, may, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices. And when he uses the word voices, he has the thought of languages here. There are various voices or languages in the world. There are many of them, and none of them is without signification. Meaning, there is a people group somewhere that understands what's being spoken. 
but for those of us who cannot speak that language, they're barbarians. And our speech is a barbarian unto them. It's, it's not known. Verse 12. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Again, it's assumed that his point is so that they can be edified. Verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now there, many have parked on that verse as proof that you can pray or speak in tongues and not understand what you're saying. But I would suggest, properly understood, what he's saying. My understanding is unfruitful. It's unfruitful to anyone else. It's not that it's unfruitful to me. It's not that I don't understand what I'm saying. But it is unfruitful in the context of the church or for the edifying of the body. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, and note this, verse 16, else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well. And how can it be well unless you understand it? I think you must be able to understand what you're saying if you're saying, if you're giving thanks well. But the other is not edified. So if you give thanks well, you pray and sing with the understanding, and you bless with the Spirit, you're blessing God in a language you can understand, that might be well and good. But the ones who can understand you cannot say amen, they are not edified, because they're not understanding. And again, it's focusing on the importance of understanding what is being spoken. Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. And many say, okay, there you have it. Paul speaks in tongues all the time, more than anyone else. So, let's be like Paul. But again, what does the scriptures say and teach? What does it mean when Paul spoke in tongues more than all. Well, let me give you a clue. If we read in the writings of the early church, they had this to say, Irenaeus, approximately the year 180 A.D., one of the leaders in the early church. And here's a quote that's taken from an excerpt of his writing, which um, David Berceau had in his book, um, Encyclopedia of early church beliefs. This quote is from Irenaeus. For this reason the apostle, and he's referring to Paul here, we speak wisdom among them who are perfect, calling those persons perfect who have received the Spirit of God and who through the Spirit of God do speak in all languages as he himself also used to speak. In like manner, we also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men. And I understand from that quote that Irenaeus at least would have believed that when Paul spoke in tongues more than he all, 
was referring to his ability to speak in all languages, many languages. And that, that gift was also given to other brethren who could speak in all kinds of languages. Now if you consider Paul's ministry, he was the apostle to the Gentiles and he traveled extensively in many, many regions which would have spoken many different languages. And it seems very likely and probably the accurate understanding is that God supernaturally gave him the ability to speak many, many different languages as he went around ministry to the different people groups. Well then, a bit further on, verse 22 is another key verse. It tells us right there what tongues are for. It says, wherefore tongues are for a sign. So that's what tongues are for, is a sign. And it specifies, it's not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So tongues are for a sign to those who believe not. Now again, reflecting on how it's so commonly used today, it's widely regarded as a sign, yes, but for them that believe, as proof that you have the Holy Spirit. That's not what it was for in the, in the book of Acts. Tongues are for a sign to them that believe not. Going back to the day of Pentecost, there were devout men, yes, but they were Jews out of every nation under heaven. And it lists all these various regions they were from, but they weren't believers. They had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the day of Pentecost, tongues were for a sign to them that believe not. And we read in the account, of course, that later there were multitudes of them were converted and added to the church. In Acts chapter 10, the day of Cornelius, they were still unbelievers, but on that day they spoke in tongues. Again, a sign to the unbelievers that this was a light gift poured out. And when it talks about the gift, it's referring primarily to the Holy Spirit as the gift. But one of the evidence that attended that was speaking in tongues. So tongues are for a sign to them that believe not. Now I see we're running out of time here. There would be other things we could bring in. We'll look at a few briefly yet. I think, I don't think I'll read, um, maybe just reference further in, in the chapter, verse 28. Verse 28, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. If there be no interpreter, he shouldn't speak in the church. Why? Because it's of no profit, if there's no interpreter. And let him speak to himself, and that, by the way, is generally done silently, isn't it? Sometimes I speak to myself out loud, but it wouldn't be appropriate in the assembly. Let him speak to himself and to God. Why? Because he understands what he's saying. He is in full comprehension of his words. He can edify himself, and he can speak to God, but not to the rest, because they don't know. There's no interpreter. And of course then, the very end of the chapter, verse 39, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And I mentioned there that sometimes we just fall back on that concluding verse and say, well, 
we're not sure, so we just, we know we, we can't forbid speaking in tongues. But I'm going to suggest that we should be diligent students of the word and know what biblical tongues really is. And I am more persuaded that what the scripture really teaches is that tongues as spoken of in the New Testament is simply languages that are known somewhere among men. Another question may come to us back in verse in chapter 13 verse 8 where it says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And I've heard that used as evidence that the use of tongues ended with the New Testament church, with the New Testament age, or with the time of the apostles. And since that time, uh, it's not needed anymore. Well, I'm not quite persuaded of that interpretation of this passage. I have long understood this to simply be referring to a future time when Christ shall come again and all things are made perfect and all things are restored and there's no need of tongues then. Now it does say when we're gathered around the throne every every kindred and, and tribe and tongue is there around the throne. And it would be, I'm not sure if I, I have the verse for this, but I always imagined they would be then of one tongue, all understanding together what is being spoken. So I don't look at this verse and I found some of the early church writers who likewise made reference to this particular passage about it ceasing, he says, it will cease when the king himself comes again. Now, it is true that there is less of this uh, miraculous ability to speak in tongues. I don't think it has disappeared entirely. I think there are times and places where God can still use this miraculous gift of ability to speak in another language for the benefit or the sign to unbelievers that they might also believe. I, I really don't doubt that that still can occur and has throughout history from time to time. Now it's certainly not as common as it was in the early church and in the days of the apostles. And even the early church writers writing several hundred years later admit to that it not being as common as it was in the early days and yet having not disappeared entirely. So that would leave um, be somewhat confirmation. So I don't think we err in saying that this gift can still be in this this age, in this day. But let's just be confident that what is being practiced is the biblical definition of tongues. Now, I think I'll conclude with that. I don't, I'm sure there's probably other um, questions there may be and there might be questions about certain verses I didn't touch on. I did not skip over any verses because I couldn't explain them or they seemed too difficult, uh, but I simply couldn't touch on them all, and I'm not sure that I have an answer for them all, but I think together we could search the scriptures and just be convinced that we want to do it God's way, not my interpretation, not some other man's interpretation, but what the scripture truly teaches. And let us be instructed by the Word of God. If we have fallen into error on any point, it's not just this topic, but any, 
we can have our eyes enlightened and we can turn from our error or misunderstanding. We can embrace the truth. We can walk in it. And I know with this topic particularly, it's a bit sensitive because we, we know of people who may practice these things. They may seem sincere. Well, I don't think we need to just judge them in a condemning way, but we need to be willing to speak the truth as we believe the scriptures teach and what they actually tell us about tongues and let the truth and the scriptures speak for themselves. That would be my, my prayer and my exhortation to you all. Let's, uh, let's be diligent students of the word. May the Lord bless you with that.